Abba Father, thank you for your loving grace. Thank you for all the ways that you've been faithful today. How you have been kind and uh, you have allowed me to witness the grace of healing and seeing people change. It's a gift and I say thank you and ask your blessings right now. Blessing on our nation and uh, you'll, you will stir hearts and draw hearts and minds to you, please. Thank you for tonight and what's going to happen here. In Christ's name I pray, amen. All right, so Revelation chapter 22, verses, verses 6 and 7, just two simple verses, but rich, and we're going to get into those. This is what the text says. And he said to me, these words are faithful and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, sent his angel to show to his bondservants the things which must soon take place. And behold, I'm coming quickly. Blessed is he who heeds the words of the prophecy of this book. So let's walk through this just a bit. Uh, these words are faithful and true. That concept is actually repeated about four times in the book of Revelation in various forms. And uh, Dr. David Ahn argues that this is a kind of legal formula. It's a kind of... Uh, promissory oath formula like in a courtroom you have that scene where someone has a bible and you put your hand on the bible and you raise your right hand do you swear to tell the whole truth nothing but the truth so be god and that lingo is an oath formula this is very similar to what's going on in this scene where there's an oath statement what has been said is faithful meaning it will happen and it's true the report is accurate so it's really unique language and should be taken in a kind of legal spiritual moral kind of way uh, and then it's a it's a very curious thing this language it's a little complicated and the lord and we assume is that christ is that god the lord the god of the spirits of the prophets sent his angel okay well is that god or is that jesus who's sending who it's kind of cryptic and i guess the end the end point really doesn't doesn't really matter that much if it's christ or god because they're one but it's cryptic the god of the spirits of the prophets what is that we've got a couple of options on what that means the souls of the prophets because suke galen just simply means the life force you're alive you're a living being you have a suke a soul a spirit panuma a suke and a panuma so is that just the the humanness of the prophets is that what it means or does it mean that the holy spirit is in them or does it mean the attitude of what they say, which is really interesting. For example, we believe, I believe John, uh, Janice John wrote this revelation. And in 1 John chapter four, it says, beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirit to see if it's from God. And then he explains what he means. If someone comes to you and says this, we know that's not the spirit of God. If someone says that, then we know it is from God. Almost like 
the, the test is the content. And if the content is sound gospel truth, then it has the right spirit or content or message about it. It's not, is it a demon spirit or an angelic spirit? It's not the spooky stuff that we hear of sometimes. It simply means the content, the attitude, the truthfulness of the gospel. Is that what it is? Okay. Isn't it amazing civil things can get so complicated just like that? So these words are faithful and truth, an earth formula, an oath formula, and the Lord, the God of any certainly, the God of the soul, the attitude, the very message of the prophets. And he sent his angel, probably the bold angel, as mentioned earlier, to his bond servants about the things to show the things which must soon take place. A simple comment that's interesting there is it's as though John is not the only one getting the revelation. You kind of get this idea that he's the one that's uniquely in this, this, from this perspective. He sees these things, but here it's actually several people are getting this, not just John. And then uh, he moves into a statement that's very important. Behold, I come quickly. Any other translations, David? What does your translation say, the first clause in chapter 7? And he says, look, I am coming quickly. Look, I'm coming quickly. Michelle, what do you have? Okay, coming soon. Uh, Janice, what does the King James say, the true and rightful translation? Okay, yeah. That's fine. Yeah. Behold, I'm coming quickly. Yes. Hi, Carrie. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, the language. There we go. Now my mic is too too loud. Sorry, we're we're working through the technical difficulties here. Um, the uh, the language here. It's a little challenging to interpret at verse seven. Erkamai tahu. Erkamai. It's a, it's a present indicative verb, and it means it's happening. It's going to happen. But taku, when used with that verb, uh, our favorite English scholar, it's typically translated, it's going to happen quickly, speedily, or it's going to happen, happen at a more rapid pace, or surely, indeed, it will, in fact, so it's emphasis. It is, in fact, going to happen. So it's, it's very strong language. The idea here, kai idu erchamai taku, is uh, we can't miss this. <laughs> it's like he's saying to the church, hey, eyes open, heads on a swivel. You can't miss this. I am coming quickly. That's a big thing to think about, a big thing to say, especially at this point in the letter. And then uh, makarios, beautiful. It's it literally means blessing, or blessed is he who heeds 
the words of the prophecy of this book. Um, the uh, this is this is this is Teron. The root is Tereo, and this is your driving verb here. This is the verb that the Christians should pay attention to. Okay, and it's going to be translated like this. It's going to be. Um, uh, pay attention, uh, be alert. Uh, I am coming soon. I will come. Assuredly, I'm coming. Uh, blessed is the one who habitually, <laughs> Tammy, it's your participle verb, habitually, characteristically obeys the words of the prophecy in this book. Yeah, which is actually a pretty good translation because it implies consistency. Right. And that's what the participle verb does. Uh, in other words, he's not describing the person who is on again, off again. You know, you have 14 terrible days and one good day, and 42 terrible days and then one good day, and 100, you know, you get the idea. And it goes on and on and on. Um, uh, he's actually saying, no, this is the person whose who's established lifestyle um, uh, is one of obedience. Yeah, yeah. The way you show yourself at, at your home in private. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So the scripture is really, go ahead. Yes. Yeah. It's it's a masculine participle, so it's translated "he that keepeth." Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. So it's a matter of consistency. Okay. Keep us. Keep it. Now you got me talking, King James, Janice. He that keepeth. Uh, that keeps or heeds or obeys or listens to and submits to the logos, the logos, the words of this prophecy, um, this book, Biblio, the book of Revelation. Okay, let's look at this idea of blessing and what that's like. The, the blessings in the scripture says so there's actually seven beatitudes in the book of Revelation. And they are uh, as follows. First, uh, chapter 1, verse 3, blessed is he, and the implication is she as well, who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy and heeds, there's that same idea, uh, that heeds the things that are written in it, for the time is near. Okay? So it's interesting, let's kind of see the bookends, that right at the, at the beginning, you have this statement of urgency. The time is near. What a perfect time to obey, right? And, and really get it down. And you do that by listening, by reading or hearing, and submitting to the directives in this particular letter. And if you do that, you're blessed. It's one of the seven Beatitudes. This one, 14, 13, and I heard a voice from heaven saying, right, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. 
says the Spirit, so that they may rest from their labors where their deeds will follow them. Second, beatitude. Third, I'm coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake and keeps his clothes ready so that he will not walk about naked in shame and men will not see his shame. Okay? Does that sound like something that was drawn from a parable from the Gospels? Sure does, doesn't it, Rick? Yeah. You can tell John walked with Jesus. You, know, you pick up these echoes, okay? For uh, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. These are true words of God, okay? Again, appreciate the legal language. What's being said is the truth. It matters, you have to pay attention to it. Uh, 26, blessed and holy is the one who has a part in the first resurrection. Over these, the second death has no power. But they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. 22.7, behold, I'm coming quickly. Blessed is he who heeds, obeys, submits to the words of the apostle of this book. And blessed are those who wash their robes so that they might have the right to the tree of life and may enter by the gates into the city. Those are the seven beatitudes of the book of Revelation. Pretty amazing. Okay. Now, let's push this just for a little bit. Uh, the... Uh, Let's, th- let's think about life application and anesthetics. How, what are we going to do with this? How we advise ourselves in anesthetics. Uh, are the words of God faithful and true? If yes, why? So there's a question. Let's engage that. How do you know these words are faithful and true? How do you know? How do you intellectually work through that so that you could say with authority with confidence. You know, this really is true. What do you think? This is Jim. Yeah? And I was going to say, because I saw That's good. So for Janice, one of the things that she's going to do to validate this is by uh, looking for ways prophecies being expressed. Are prophetic words coming true? Those kinds of things. Are there any other criteria by which we can say, you know what, this really is the truth and I'm settled on it. Why? How do you know? How do you know? Is this Jennifer?
as the consistency of the character of God hasn't changed. God of love, God of judgment, that's throughout the Bible. Um, the, the way his instructions, the things you're supposed to do as a believer, that's consistent. It doesn't contradict other things. Um, the idea that uh, your mortal life is small in comparison, the suffering is a good thing, that um, eternal glory is real, all these things, and the character of Jesus Christ, all these things are consistent with the whole rest of scripture. And again, the sense of there's, what, I don't remember what the span was, 1,600 years the Bible was written over, something like that, and all these different authors, and so much consistency there. And and again, what we see in Revelation fits right in with that. So to me, that's how I look at it and say, I mean, this, this makes sense to me that this is biblical truth. Okay, thank you, Jennifer. So for Janice, she's going to look for uh, uh, signs signs that are indicating that prophecy has been fulfilled. Jennifer's going to say, hey, you know what? The consistency of the, of the, the letter, it matches God's character. That's good. Um, someone else? How do you know it's the truth? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, good. Thank you, Carrie. A faith conviction, David? That's kind of what I was thinking of the same line with what you were saying. Uh, To expand on that more was when you do as it is said in there, to to keep and to follow what God had wrote in the book to do. How to be uh, like Christ, that was what Paul was saying earlier. Your life is more blessed. You do feel more blessed. You feel. And blessing doesn't mean, oh man, I got everything, I got a new house, a new car. Blessing means that you know there's something beyond this temporary area. Yeah. yeah. And you know that, especially when you have others that you are known that are lost and you're and you're just relaying the message that God wanted to relay. You're not trying to do it. You just have God speak for you. And if they also learn the great blessing of knowing Christ and become to it. They also be blessed. That's like double the blessing, no yeah. matter where you're at. Yeah, that's good. And then how Paul was blessed, even though he was in prison, like we were you know, on Sunday talking about it, mm-hmm. he still was blessed, even though he was shackled the way he was. And, sure, and, you know, sure. And that's how I can see how it's faithful and true, because it is true. Once you really, anybody can read the Bible, but once you start actually heeding it, keeping mm-hmm. it, doing mm-hmm. what, it, what it is saying, mm-hmm you realize, oh my gosh, it is right, you mm-hmm. know? That's good, yeah, that's good. Yeah, you remind amen. me, yeah? I just said amen. Okay, okay. So let's talk about philosophy for a second. Pop quiz, does anyone know what the word tautology means? A tautology. Is there a bell? Anybody, David? Ring a bell? Okay, Rick? It means a circular argument. See, I knew that's what you thought, yeah. So here's what a circular argument is, and this is why philosophers and critical thinkers shame us for what has just been said. (laughs) 
Is it's a circular argument. You're saying, I believe it's the word of God because the word of God says so. That's a tautology. It's a, you're looping back around and you're, you're doing nothing. You have no authority from an outside source critiquing it saying, ah, we have double or triple attestation from multiple external sources proving the thing to be true. In other words, we can't do the empirical method. We can't get it in a test tube, can't get it on the slide, in the petri dish. So what we have left is philosophy. And oftentimes our arguments are tautological, they're circular. Well, I just believe it, that's why. I, I, I believe it, that's why. By the way, nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with it at all. But, but, sometimes, sometimes our convictions are driven oftentimes more by a mood that we're in or an emotion that we feel. And in this instance, uh, David, it's kind of where uh, we move from an ideal to an actual conviction when we're tested. Does that make sense? And, uh, you know, for example, if um, uh, we say that, I, you know, I have peace like a river and the Lord is just, the scripture says, be still and know that I am God. And, and I'm just going to name it and claim that today. And walk in being still before the Lord. And then Bruce, then you get out of bed. <laughs> you know? And all of a sudden your car won't start. You know? And you're late. And you catch every red light. And by the time you get to work, your blood pressure is up 20 points. And yet while you are in bed having your quiet time, you are just laying hold of the deep things of God. And it was this beautiful moment, you know. You get what I'm saying? <laughs> Appreciate that John is saying, blessed is the person that listens to, reads, reads and heeds the words of this prophecy, especially in a context of persecution when life can get really, really tough. And you're not mood dependent, you're not emotion dependent, and you didn't read your Jesus Calling by Sarah, whatever her name is, and to get your little word from the Lord that morning, you know. <laughs> uh, that's, that's where it kind of gets serious in our faith. Um, yeah. Yep. I think, I mean, uh, yes, at one point in my life, you know, there probably was more emotional based um, decisions in, within my faith. But I think that as you mature in the Lord's word and in your relationship with the Lord, I think that it becomes more of a faith relying on your faith and through the way that the Lord has spoken to you in your life and urged you in your life to then believe exactly what it is that this book is telling you. Yeah. And it's relying on your faith, not necessarily your emotion, but your faith that this is coming from God for God. 
good, Carrie. That's good. Carrie, is faith irrational? Okay. So therefore, faith is rational to you. To me, faith is that you have faith whether your house is burning down or or you just won the lottery. Okay. I mean, you you have faith no matter what because that is what you truly believe in your heart to be true. Okay. And in your mind to be true, that God is going to work in whatever season that you are in. And whether it is in the pit of darkness, clawing your way out, or at the top of the mountain, praising Him. Okay. He praising Him either way, and you're believing in Him, not faith in Him either way. Yeah, that's good. Anybody here on location? Is faith rational or irrational or both? And if so, how so? So Soren Kierkegaard was right. It is a bit of a blind leap in the dark. It is the leap that you can't see. Okay. Okay. Anybody else on the irrationality and the rationality of faith? Uh huh. Janice, do you remember the story in John's Gospel where Thomas said, I refuse to believe unless I can touch the wounds in his hands, put my fingers in the wounds in his side, and if so, I see and I believe. Jesus lets him do it, and then he says, Behold, my Lord and God, faith became rational. And then Jesus said, You get to see and you believe? Blessed are those who believe without seeing. So there is a sense at times in which faith is irrational. Okay, second question. Is God's word the singular source of absolute truth? Galen, can't wait to hear from you on that one. The singular source. Emphasis on singular. As in there's no other. What do you think? Chris. Yeah. Right. It's still a rational right. statement. Right. It's not 
Okay, or you, you might do logical or illogical. Okay, got it, got it. Galen, what do you think of the second question? Nobody rescue Galen. This is this is moment. I guess I, I would struggle with some on that because yes, but I mean, if I had a point of incident like Mary did, and then it turns out I'm closer up, I think I'd strongly believe that also. Kind of makes sense, huh? Yeah. Or what about math? One plus one is true. Uh, one. Yes, <laughs> one plus one is two. Thank you. And is that an absolute statement mathematically? Unless you get real philosophical, why do we call it two? Now it's all crazy. <laughs> but, you know. And basic oriented. Sure, based on empirical science and the principles of empiricism, you know, there, there, there is sources of truth, things that are true and right and real and measurable that we can believe in. And so in philosophy, Christian philosophers conclude this, all truth is what? It's God's truth whether it's a math formula, whether it's understanding the genetic process that causes a lily to grow, or the science of the sunrise and sunset, and all those things. All truth is God's truth. Romans 1.20, the created order speaks of the invisible attributes of God, right? So we have the scriptures, but we also have other sources, Janice, that point to God, the created order of God, which is beautiful. And I know, Tammy, you love that just drop-dead gorgeous typo right there. Isn't that awesome? Now you're wrecked. I know those front lobes are humming now. How do you discern so-called prophetic words as being true or false? My blood pressure just went up on that one. How, how does you be doing that? So, all y'all. How do you know? You know, prophetic words. There's all kinds of stuff. Everybody's saying, behold this, behold that. Lots of, lots of stuff. How do you know? What's the apparatus or the thing you use, the criteria to say, you know what? Nope, that's not a word from God. That is a word from man. How do you know? Saying stuff in the name of God. Of course, nobody would ever do that, right? And get it wrong. How, what's the criteria? How do you know? How do you know? Okay, so we're going to compare it against the Old and New Testament. You know, Janice has mentioned that. That's good. Any other criteria by which you're going to discern if it's right or wrong? True or false? Okay, I think the Holy Spirit tells us too. Yeah, yeah, Holy, yeah exactly. Holy Spirit's a source of truth, exactly. Okay, exactly. What do you think? Have you ever heard somebody misuse Scripture and abuse and misuse Scripture? an agenda? No, no. So yeah, just because it's in scripture doesn't mean it's used correctly or reasonably. Okay. So anybody else? What's the criteria? How do you know?
Yeah. No, I'm not sure where I'm going with that, but it's like, does this fit with how God has operated before and Ooh. let us know about? Is this serve his eternal purpose or not? <clears throat> I like that, Jennifer. Yeah. Jennifer, here's what I do uh, when someone says they've got a prophetic word. I want to ask, uh, number one, does it fall within the normal trajectory of something Jesus would say? It's in that trajectory. And secondly, is it something he would do? Does it fit in that category or criteria? And then I would ask, you know, how do you square it against the revealed word of God? Uh, and if you can if you can blend those things together, consistent with the real word of God, Old New Testament scripture, it's in keeping with what Jesus would would say or do. It's not some anomalous thing. Um, then I think we can move forward with confidence with that. Uh, if you want to assess motive, you can. If someone is using scripture and they go, "Hey, I got a prophetic word of God for you," and then they tear into you because they just want to be mean, then no, that's that's human agenda. That's not Holy Spirit stuff. So, so okay, I, I did that to kind of stir you up just a little bit to understand the seriousness of what's happening in 22, 6, and 7. The prophecies are done. The revelation has been given. And John is tying this thing off for the anticipation of the return of Christ. We're still, this is the first century, do you understand? This is a long way out. You know? Now we're doing some telescoping, right? We're, we're foreshortening the concept of time to hold on coming quickly. All right. Well, it hasn't happened yet, and yet he's saying he's coming quickly, so you get some telescoping. But John is speaking emphatically, and behold, yes, it's, be assured, I am coming. And the person who listens to, reads, submits to, heeds, the words of this prophecy are blessed. It's a blessed way to do life. There's blessings that come. It, it pays dividends that are really, really significant. Yeah. It's good to appreciate the gravity of this after all that has been said that this is a letter we need to pay attention to. Okay, um, let's do uh, one quick question. I just, anybody, uh, a comment, a question regarding how this would encourage the seven churches of Asia Minor who are struggling, uh, how it encourages young uh, people of faith today or churches trying to make sense of our world today and how do we fit in this world any comment or question about, about these things? Anybody? Uh, uh, let's, uh, let's take the Lord's Supper together. Um, if you didn't get your elements, they're out there on the table. If you want to get those. And I want to read from Matthew's tradition. This is what Matthew writes in his gospel, chapter 26. Now when evening came, 
Jesus was reclining at the table with the 12 disciples and they were eating and he said, truly I say to you that one of you will betray me. Being deeply grieved, they each one began to say to him, surely not I, Lord. And he said, he who dips his hands with me in the bowl is the one who betrays me. The Son of Man is to go, just as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would be good for that man if he had not been born. And Judas, who is betraying him, said, Surely it is not I, Rabbi. And Jesus said to him, You said it yourself. While they were eating, Jesus took some bread, and after a blessing, he broke it, and he gave it to the disciples, and he said, Take, eat, this is my body. When he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for forgiveness of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Beautiful. One of the Beatitudes of Revelation is blessed are those who wash their robes in the blood of the Lamb and they're allowed to enter the city and they're allowed to enjoy the tree of life and to enter the gates. The language of acceptance, it's beautiful. So Jesus took, took bread and he blessed it and he broke it. I want to pray, Our Father, thank you for the bread. A reminder of your broken body for us. And we say thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah, he broke it and we ate bread with the disciples. This is the cup of the covenant of my blood, which is poured out for you for the forgiveness of your sins. Abba, Father, thank you. We take the cup and we enjoy the gift of forgiveness. In Jesus' name, amen. Special thanks to everyone who's joined us online. Thank you very much. Appreciate all of you being here. Yes. Blessing to everyone. Bye-bye.